Hi everyone, welcome to our podcast, Breathe In, Write Out, a podcast for high school, college, and university students about making the most out of academic life. We touch on study skills, student life, career transition, overall well-being, personal development, and other topics that impact young adults. At the end of each podcast, we send our listeners off with a short guided meditation and writing prompt. We hope that through these discussions, meditations, and writing exercises, we can build an open, caring, compassionate community that supports personal growth. I'm Lisa Fow, the founder and CEO of Fow Academic Writing, where we focus on teaching young adults the communication skills necessary to reach their full potential on the page and in life. Get into a cozy spot, grab your pen and notebooks, and let's meet our first guest. This week's episode is part of our series, Careers in Liberal Arts. People often undervalue liberal arts degrees, but there is a lot of gain from a Bachelor of Arts that can help you in a number of careers. Economics, for instance, is a valuable area of study for individuals interested in international business or trade. Understanding what you can do with an economics degree can help you to truly value the content of the courses you're enrolled in and find ways to gain practical experience to develop a meaningful career after graduation. This week's guest is Jay Chin. He's principal at Sard Verbian in Hong Kong. Prior to joining SVC, Jay was a transactional lawyer with two leading UK international law firms. Jay has advised a variety of clients, including in technology, venture capital, private equity, retail and manufacturing sectors. Jay has advised clients in mergers and acquisitions, cross-border investments, fundraising rounds, diverse commercial arrangement and regulatory matters, often acting as an external general counsel for his clients. Currently, he's doing something a little bit new, strategic communications for crisis management at the same firm, and he'll tell us a little bit more about that during our interview. Jay graduated with an honors degree from the University of Toronto. He had a bachelor's degree in economics, and he's actually a classmate of mine from the master's degree in Asia Pacific studies. He also obtained a Juris Doctor degree and post postgraduate certificate in laws from the Chinese University of Hong Kong. Welcome to our podcast, Breathe In, Write Out, Jay. Hey, Lisa, good to be here. Yeah, it's so nice to see you after like 15 years. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been a while. It's been a while. So great, great to be on and thank you for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. So a lot has changed in your life since uh, we were together in MAPS, the master's degree of Asia Pacific Studies at University of Toronto. And you've had many degrees. You're a really educated guy. Tell us a little bit how your education and maybe more specifically your liberal arts degree has helped you get to where you are today. I think, I think a liberal arts education is actually very beneficial. Um, I think one of the great things um, about a liberal arts education is the breadth of the issues that you are exposed to and the, the kind of the critical thinking skills that you develop. Mm -hmm. And then along with that is uh, the writing skills that you developed. And mm -hmm. say those, those three things probably 
not probably definitely carries across uh, careers and career uh, in, in industries. Um, it certainly helped in, you know, it, it laid the foundation for law school and then eventually a career in law and then transitioning that to a career in uh, financial communications and crisis management. It's all, it's all okay. the, the same thing to under, to, to be able to one, so the, what I mean by the breadth of things is one to see, to see an issue from a lot, from many different um, perspectives, um, which is important every day in what uh, what we do now. Right. And then also uh, to question things. Right. Mm -hmm. Do does are you, are you are you presented information and you just accept that as fact? Or you presented information and you kind of, you know, ask, when I was in law, it was more about asking like, okay, where, where the fallacies are, where, where, where things doesn't make sense, where, how do we start apart, parts or how do we, you know, how do we make it tighter and make it, you know, more, more robust. And now it's more about, you know, Asking questions of, well, would would this make sense to this audience? If you were an investor, what kind of questions would you have? If you are an employee, what kind of questions would you have? If you are a, um, you know, mom and pop person, what questions right. would you have? Um, and then, and then along with that is your writing skills, which is, you know, it's something that's that's critical. Yeah, very much undervalued. Very much undervalued. If you are a good writer, and, and, and like there's many definitions of good writer. I, I don't want to say like there's one pigeonhole of good writer, but having an ability to write clearly, concisely, simply um, is a tremendous skill that I think a lot of people don't really see unless uh, they are faced or sorry, they don't really value unless they have to do it or have to review other people's writing. Right. Read something, you're like, what? This makes no sense. What, <laughs> what, you know, like, what are you trying to say? Right. And, and, I, and, 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 and it's a skill that you'll develop and continue to improve upon, refine, evolve throughout your life, right? Like mm. writing lawyer is very, very different from writing um, for communications, right? Like right. Essentially writing for one audience, you assume a base knowledge of things. Uh, whereas writing now, you uh, the things that I write now is consumed by, you know, a variety of audiences who yeah. may not base knowledge of things. And how tell do you us a little, tell us a little bit about this transition from law and like, what is this current position? SVC is a strategic communications firm uh, financial communications and crisis management. So with that, it, it's a bit hard to explain. Uh, a lot of people don't really understand what we do. Basically, we, we manage our clients' voice in the public arena. Okay. Right? So if you are a, if you are a, a high, you know, high profile individual, or if you are a Fortune 500 company, what do you say to the market? What do you say to the 
general public about you know a variety of issues around the world um, and some of your issues may be contained some you know some issues may have certain resonance in one jurisdiction in one country which may have the opposite effect in another country okay can you give an example um what's an example um, So if you, oh, so we, we do, uh, uh, we do like project-based stuff. So it's um, all retainer, retainer clients. So project-based, it would be like IPOs, um, major, major transactions in the world. So if you are a Chinese company going to the US, mm -hmm. a variety of audiences, right? Right. A Chinese company that's trying to IPO in the US, you'll have a lot of audiences you'll have. Um, the regulators in the U.S., you have the regulators in China, you have your investors globally, you have your consumers, you have your employees. And so when you try to communicate your story, you know, the story, the narrative in your company, what do you say and how do you say that? How do you say that to investors? How do you say that to you know, be on the right side of regulators. How do you right. say that to assure your employees will be taken care and of? It, and like, would be an example of a crisis? Uh, well, there's been a lot of crises over the <laughs> I guess maybe like the pandemic. So maybe you're a Chinese company going to the U.S. The pandemic hits, and then yeah. I mean, if you're so, I think for crises, it, it, it falls in a lot of different categories. Uh, without getting into, say, client names, just in, in, in general, say if you are, you know, if you're an airline manufacturer and you're playing, or you're an airline and your plane goes down, mm -hmm. right? Um, what, what do you say? All these people are calling you, regulators are calling mm -hmm. you, uh, the, you know, your employees are calling, customers are calling, uh, the, the media is calling. Mm -hmm. What do you say? Um, how do you communicate that? What What should you you know? How should you or how should you as a company approach this situation? Mm -hmm. And these are kind of like the things we. And so how we, does your? That's so interesting. You know, I don't think we think about that. We just think. I, I don't and like that's amazing because how fast some of these companies do put the messaging out you know to the media to their like the speed at which you need to communicate and also the complexity of the issue and I think we don't realize there's people in the background helping to craft that message and this is really interesting to me, and I can very much see how your diverse education kind of comes in here, because you have this um, economics degree, plus you were in uh, maps with me where we actually, so we had a course together as our graduate degree, and we had people from all disciplines in the course, so you know, economics, sociology, political science, history, East Asian studies, and but we all had some, we were all studying Asia. So in that very course, you get a number of perspectives 
and have to understand one kind of question from a variety of disciplines. Plus you have a, this law degree, which probably gives you another perspective. You've been writing throughout this, these various educational degrees. So, you know, it probably, it really helps. Along comes a problem. You can see, you, you've already been trained to see a problem through a variety of lenses. And you already have, have practiced communicating to different types of audiences. As you said, like lawyers talking to a judge is different than, um, you know, a lay person understanding a case or something, or even talking to your clients. Um, and then having to communicate about a crisis, as you said, to a variety of audiences. That's really interesting. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that's absolutely true that, you know, uh, for, for my firm now, it, people come from a variety of backgrounds, whether that's, you know, politics, investment banking, lawyers, um, campaign managers, mm. marketing, you know, and, and it's, it's needed to have that variety of background because you need to have a variety of perspectives on the issue because right. the, the things we generally deal with are the most high profile, super sensitive issues for a company, uh, right. prominent, prominent individuals that it's, it's difficult to, you know, you need a variety of viewpoints on what you're writing because everyone has a kind of a different take on right. what, what does this like actually mean to you? And, and it's about oftentimes the challenge is, is distilling very complex issues into easily digestible uh, messages. Yeah. yeah, yeah, sound bites or two or three lines, two or three sentences, or if you know if you have a bit longer, maybe you're crafting a speech for someone. But that mm. it's all writing, but it's you know how do you how do you get across sometimes very technical things or sometimes that you know you, you feel like I need to spend an hour explaining the foundations of what the okay. issue is. Right. Before we then, you know, begin discussing what the issue is. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's about kind of you know taking all that in and then distilling into things that's understandable by the average person and, and mm. filling it down to its core. You know, three or four points that you're trying to get across that is central to your argument or your your wow. thesis. Um, that's so interesting and you know what that's really I hope that students listen to this because I think people get the perception you know you watch the news you you listen to the news there's this beautifully crafted sound bite or you know announcement yeah. and I think there's a perception there's someone really clever that just comes up with it like you know fast and, and there could, I think with a lot of practice, probably 
someone doing your kind of job probably does maybe get a little faster, but look, he's shaking his head, but I yeah. like how you've explained, or maybe you can even explain the process a little bit of how actually there's a lot of background and understanding to these few sentences, maybe that somebody comes out and tells the media or whoever about an incident. And then also, I like how you explained that, you know, also they need to communicate to different audiences. So they might, someone on the team about the incident is going to be the media person. The management have a different version of the same message to communicate to staff. You know, customers calling in, they're getting a different message that's gone through a communication chain. So it's really interesting how you're explaining, yeah, you know, this is a process that takes hours to get to these messages. Yeah, it, it's not like, it's it, it, it's not about, good writing doesn't, no, no one can write it perfectly on the first try. Right. Like, it, just, it, it doesn't happen, no matter how experienced you are. It just doesn't, you don't get it. Other, like, good writing, takes lots of rounds you know for some of the stuff that we do for clients you know i can have a first draft other people will comment on it we'll, we'll go through like lots and lots of rounds of revision about thinking about this you know what does it mean to this this person what does it mean to this demographic you know and and, and, and it's, it's interesting because now we're in such a global world and you're absolutely right that communication is almost instantaneous. You, you need to, you know, come up with something uh, very quickly, which is sometimes very stressful, but also you need to be very thoughtful about what, what you're saying because the world is global. What you're saying to an audience in the U.S., will not be taken the same way if you are in China, mm-hmm. if, you are in, if you are in Indonesia, right? And you should factor all, all these things in, right? right? So just because it plays well to one audience doesn't mean it's, it's playing well is, is the wrong word, I shouldn't say that. Just because you, you, you get your message across to one audience, that doesn't mean that that same message will resonate. It may sometimes have the opposite effect. Right. Right. And, yeah. and th- this, this cuts. So this, because of this, it, it brings in lots of issues of politics, of geopolitical politics, of understanding what current affairs are, understanding what the dynamics between nations, between states, between peoples are, what's topical in each kind of, you know, broadly topical in each region. What are the sensitive pain points for each culture? Uh, right. Can you give an all... example of like, if you said one thing in one place and then you said the same thing, how it would be interpreted um, very well and very badly, maybe? Um, what's a good example? I mean, a hypothetical example. Mm-hmm. If you are in the U.S., and, and this may be an obvious example, but I think that this, this brings out the kind of the point. If you are in the U.S., and 
let's 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 take emojis. Okay. If you are Apple and you have emojis, and right. we all know some emojis are flags. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, if you include the Taiwan flag in, in your emojis and your and your doing this and 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 completely taking out the the politics of who's right, who's wrong. Right. But if you're taking that and you have, you know, looks good, yeah, it makes sense for whatever reason. And then you have in you your Apple users in China see that emoji or the regulators or whoever see that emoji, they're gonna take severe issues with that. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, for good or bad, like for right or wrong, doesn't matter. But that that is a tremendous issue for you as a company. Um, that's one example. Or for example, um, let's say, you know, freedom of speech is different across nations. I think that that's often if you are in the States or if you're in Canada and the US, you think there's there's somehow uh, more, mm, there's somehow a definition of free, like free speech. But free speech is different across, um, has different meanings across liberal democracies, across and across, you know, more authoritarian countries. Right. You are, you know, if you're saying something against the monarchy, one country that's not maybe not won't play as well in Thailand, right? Right. Or you know, different different nations have different conceptions of progressiveness of uh, cultural norms. Right. I, 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 a, a good example would be like. Uh, well, well people, I'm. Okay, give me your example. I have an idea. After. I think a few, a few, for example, so a few years ago, if you are, uh, there was the Denmark. Sorry, these are not actually drafting examples, but I, I guess it kind of goes to my point that you know there was a cartoonist that you know. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. You know, Mohammed. Right. And 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 from a liberal from a Western liberal democratic perspective, that's absolutely- Not a big deal. Know, not a big deal. But you, you can't say that in Indonesia, in the Middle East, oh, these are like not democracies or whatever, uh, you know, their people are, they don't, they don't understand. But, but that, that, that does genuinely resonate as offensive to the 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 populace of that nation, it's it's not right. a it's, it's not a, it, it's it's legitimately offensive. Right. Um, and I think the from the Western perspective, it often you know there's there's a certain arrogance that oh you you know it, it, almost looking down that you guys don't know as much as. Mm. We should be right. Oh, you're, you're not democratic, therefore your your opinions are 
are less valuable to us because you're not right. where. Um, so that's what I think it's about, na- you know, navigating and understanding those cultural differences and right. issues. And, and that. That's a good example. I was thinking, even if we think of like the Meghan Merkel, um, Harry interview and how it was <laughs> analyzed in the States compared to the UK, um, we can see that difference, right? We, those yeah. are actually two examples of Western democracies, but we have like a republic and a monarchy. And in one, it was in the UK, it would, it, there was a lot more backlash against Meghan Merkel. Um, she didn't criticize the queen, but there was kind of, you know, more negative press. And then in the US, it was interpreted very differently of like, oh yeah, you're challenging the authority, like the firm, you know, of course you're going to say this. So, so that's a very interesting example of how a message is interpreted um, differently in two, two countries that have a long history of, you know, not always getting along. Obviously the U S left the British empire, but having a generally kind of friendly relationship, speaking the same language, um, you know, some shared cultural norms or values. But even in that situation, you end up with two different interpretations of probably the same thing Meghan Merkel said or did, or Harry said or did in the interview. Yeah, so, exactly. And, and I think along those lines, if you, if you read what the Buckingham Palace has put out in their statement after the interview, it, it's extremely well-written. You, you, like, when I read that, it was, I can't remember word for word what it said. You know, it, it expressed disappointment. It conveyed the message that you know, we don't agree with what they're saying, but it also did it in a way in which it take the high road and that there's no, there's nothing else that can be challenged, right? So it, it, it's right. very, it's extremely well-written like that you can distill all these things into three or four sentences. Right. Uh, express all, express the emotion, express the sincerity, um, but also, you know, not, be like no she's lying like this is not true at all (laughs) right yeah because they had some pretty heavy stuff in there and then what's interesting is like you have this how long was the Oprah interview a couple hours or something and then Buckingham Palace just like you know a half paragraph response which people kind of criticize like okay what but as you said like within the that short paragraph there was a lot of information, like the message was clear. And also you see a different style, right? The Americans, let's just get it all out. And then the British monarchy of like, mm, we're going to respond, but we're, you know, we, we, we value our privacy and this is a yeah. family matter. I think a part of it, they said something about it being a family matter. Yeah. Exactly. And, exactly. and if you look, the queen came out of it. Very, I mean, who's going to really attack an old lady at this point? But, <laughs> but 
but she did she fared very well i mean there's concerns about what's going to happen when she's gone and charles takes over but um and even megan merkel made a point if you watch the interview how they directly don't say anything against the queen because they know that's going to be you know interpreted that that's it's kind of in a way safer to to go to the lawyer lower level royals than the queen so it just just kind of looking at those two if you kind of took that situation i think you could get a lot of the kind of things you're doing for your job i'm guessing um and how important those little subtleties are and how you have to be very thoughtful about what you're saying to who in what context um and if you look at that situation i mean i don't think that interview really had the effect that it could have you know earlier there in in the 90s princess diana did an interview about the palace and stuff and that caused a crisis that went on and on and on and really like severely damaged the monarchy right i would argue this thing with merkel and um harry didn't have the same impact maybe the palace has more um crafty communications people i don't know but they seem yeah, to I, handle it better i think i think it's probably we're getting off on a tangent yeah, but, times, <laughs> but um i mean we, we don't we don't we don't do stuff in the palace that's <laughs> <laughs> But that's an example of some high-profile people, right? We, we, we do stuff for, we do more, like, financial and, like, market-bearing stuff. So, you know, like, if well, you Well, the are, queen is the richest woman in the world, so. Is she? <laughs> Maybe you should acquire her as a client. <laughs> I, mean, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah, apparently. We can match the, the palace's uh, machine there, but I think... <laughs> I think what we do is more like, you know, if you say something, does it does it affect your stock? Does it are you able to communicate, you know, the value of the deal that you do? But but you're right. The, the I think it's the same principles. It's, it's same all principles. coming down to that how you started off this interview with like the value of a liberal arts degree, breadth. So these multiple perspectives, critical thinking thinking about how this might come across one way or another way in different situations, doing all those revisions, having multiple perspectives. And then finally, the, the written part, and I think I just want to go back to is that people often don't, we live in a world of technology and videos, and people don't realize these really well done videos or these sound bites have, or speeches have been written down and people are practicing them. They don't just come out and have this perfectly crafted speech no, off no, the top no, of their head. No. But I think there is a little bit of a misperception sometimes that it's more important to be a good speaker. But in fact, to be a good speaker, you have to be a good writer or you have to have someone else doing the writing for you. And so don't, don't undervalue that skill. Yeah, I think I mean good good speaker and that's a good writer is probably those are sometimes overlapping, but not yeah. often. 
different subsets. And like, it's, you know, the, the quotes that you hear, um, it's not that someone's magically like, if you look at Tim Cook in an interview, or if you look at, you know, any politician interview, it's not that they're, they're going into it blind and like, we're just winging it. You know, some, some have a natural gift more than others. Um, right. But these are very well-prepared people. They are, you know, I guarantee they have teams of people that are drafting, that are writing, that are continuously, you know, refining what they're going to say and preparing them for it. It doesn't, it doesn't come like overnight and it doesn't come like they're just sitting there like oh this magical thought just popped into my head right here we go you know um i think someone more natural i think like for example obama's probably has a bit more natural well i mean these are people that wrote books i was just thinking like i'm a big fan of stephen fry Stephen Fry, yeah. he's a very witty thought. Like you see him on an interview, right? He's very thoughtful. Yeah. Witty, he's funny, but he's also written several books. So I mean, I would argue, or this is my thought, is that, and my experience, if you're a good writer, actually, I noticed this about myself, and I'm probably doing it this very moment, is you actually will actively be editing your thoughts as you speak. So you're very like in my experience, those witty quips, they probably already played through the person's, even if they're spontaneous, played through their mind and they may have seen them like almost like a typewriter, added a little something and then spit it out. Yeah. So, I mean, that's my experience as an introvert and someone who, who writes. So that skill of writing can even translate into being better at spontaneous witty quips, especially yeah. if you're revising. Yeah. Because when it, it, when you when you speak, it's very different from when you write, right? Because when you write, it's just you and the paper, and you need to you need to have an organized thought, or else no one understands. I mean, I think the right. best I, I can I can give for your students is like read some of tr- uh, Trump's like tweet. Like they make no sense. Oh, right? like, transcripts. Yeah, yeah, they make no sense. And that's the, the difference between speaking and writing that like when you actually sit down and write it. So you you'd, you'd argue his tweets make more sense than his transcripts? Well, yeah, they make a lot more sense than his transcripts. I mean, <laughs> we're, we're, we're scraping the barrel here. But like, <laughs> it's not, it's not a, it's not a high bar to achieve to, but I, I would say, yeah, at least the tweets, like you kind of get it. But if, if you read some of the, like the speech transcripts or interview transcripts, you know, after like the first few lines, like, what are you talking about? Like, this makes no sense. I can't even follow what you're so saying. Then how would you, what would you say to like, well, he managed to, you know, have a large following and still does. So somehow this disorganized communication worked, or maybe maybe that was could that have been like a strategy. I think I think that that's probably like a larger issue that uh, <laughs> we address in, in this podcast. Of, you know, <laughs> I think right now we're, we live in a polarized world of not 
not liberal versus conservative or Democrat versus Republican or anything like that. We kind of were divided into tribal tribes of, you know, extremism and whether you are politics on the left or politics on the right, both sides have like, it's, it's the same issue of like, there's no room for debate. There's no room for difference of opinion. Yeah. So you're wrong. And here's the people that agree with me. And I don't want to talk to anyone who doesn't. I you wonder know, how communication is involved with that. If you're a really good communicator, you can get both sides to agree. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it's necessarily getting both sides to agree. I think it's like, Unfortunately, we we live in a world in which people are not receptive of, or at least currently, it's. I think part of that is like social media and the te- technology and the echo chambers that has crossed it. Um, you, you know, there's not an openness to have to have an opinion. Mm-hmm. I, I found it ironic in Hong Kong that we've gone through, and this is might be a very controversial thing to say, but like. I find it ironic that during the protests, the same people who are fighting for freedom of speech would shout down anyone who disagreed with them. Oh <laughs> yeah, that's in- so incredibly, incredibly ironic. So, yeah. you're a democracy fighter, and you are fighting for freedom of speech only if that speech agrees with you. So. <laughs> See, to me, this seems about communication because people forget one big part of communication is listening. And so, you know, this makes your job very challenging, but also I think to probably be good at your job, you have to be somewhat good at listening or as you sort of described, understanding what would sit well with different audiences, which is in a way listening. You're, you're trying to get, a, so if I was a protester in Hong Kong, right, and somebody comes and, and argues with me about my freedom of speech, it, or I'm protesting for freedom of speech, well, if I, and, and you know, if people are really riled up, it's hard to have any conversation with them. But in my experience, if you actually listen to that person and said, oh, yeah, okay, I understand you're worried about X, Y, and Z, or whatever. Right. And then he said, but I, but here's why I'm doing this. We could have a conversation and I guarantee somewhere in the middle of that conversation is a truth that both sides could understand. But if you're just over on in, you know, I'm over here and you're over there and you're shouting at each other across the street. um, There's no forward motion. I I think it's, you know, I think that's what the liberal arts education kind of gives you as we're talking about start is that it it gives you it gives you a viewpoint to other perspectives and that your opinion may not you're open to other people challenging well there's no right answer and that's okay yeah exactly it's not like engineering i mean even yeah Upper level math also, there's, uh, as I understand it, some fluidity with what's the right answer. But 
it's not one of those things where like, okay, this is the answer, right or wrong. It's more yeah, it's, about have you not, thought of all the different potential other solutions or answers or possibilities? And can you argue that what you have come up with is potentially the best or one of the better answers? Yes, yeah, it, 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 it's not it's not a it's not binary or it's not, you know. It, it's, it, it doesn't mean it's just black and white. It's about, you know, it's about having that debate and about having that conversation and kind of understanding, um, you know, what, what's your concern? Like, right. you know, at work we, we go through things and like, you know, someone might, someone might have a very different perspective than I do. And sometimes right. I, I may agree with it. I may not agree with it. Yeah. But about like talking that through, Right. Understanding where each of us are coming from and then, you know, arriving at something, you know, sometimes it would be that it was like, yeah, okay, this is something I've never considered. And Mm -hmm. right, that like, yeah, sense. Um, And it won't, it will, you know, even though I think it's right, you know, from your perspective, I can see how how it would be wrong, right? Yeah. It, but having the dialogue, I think in, on the whole, our, our kind of world now is, you know, less, it's more trouble. We need to do liberal arts degrees. Yeah, <laughs> and more people need liberal arts education. Hey man, like, yeah. like in grad school, we, you know, the, those are some lively debates and it's not like we hate each other at the end of the day, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Passionate. Well, I, you know, I, but... I think the thing, you, you're talking about different concerns, but also there's the idea in a liberal arts degree that someone pointing out a problem with your argument is good because that's helping you to better develop your argument. It doesn't, it's not like, oh, bad, I hate you. It's like, okay, you know what? Good point. I didn't, as you said, didn't consider that. And I'm going to then rethink how I think about this problem. And that's part of the process. So I, I think really everybody needs to take a liberal arts class or two. No, <laughs> and, I, I, I agree. And, and, and learn that, you know, this is a good thing, a good part of life is that people challenging your thoughts, it's hard, it's painful, it's uncomfortable, it, 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 it threatens your ego, but ultimately it helps you grow. Uh, the world is a complex place, you know, it, 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 in a lifetime you're going to understand like one little smidgen of what it means to be a human being in this particular period of time. I mean, there's so much to know and so much to think about. No, I agree. And I think like one of the, one of the things is um, that I tell, like, I mean, I, I, I mentor a few students from UT as well. And one of the things I always tell them is that uh, in school, it's easy right? Because the whole point of school is to lead you to a certain set of answers, mm-hmm. right? That's, that's 
that's that's the design of education is for you to go research or go do whatever you need to do and then you arrive at some criteria of the answer right if you're writing right. an essay you know you are you hitting these points are you distilling these things then you'll get a good grade right and i think as you move on to life that there's no there's no god right there's no like hey no you should be going to this you know success in life you should be going reading these books and then you'll do it you know right and i think that's no more formula yeah there's no formula there's no there's no not the same set of mile markers that you're supposed to hit. Right. In, in that sense the little arts education helps you one understand the world that you're living in mm-hmm. two think about the world that you're living in and then mm-hmm. three analyze it and come to a conclusion or maybe not conclusion is probably too strong but but a direction about how you should go about things how you should think about things and then and then, you know, apply that with some real life experience, some work experience, then, you know, your chances um, are pretty good, right? And, yeah. And hard work. So place. we had a really interesting conversation here and didn't ask many of my questions. I just kind of like, <laughs> okay. But I do have, I do have two things I, I want to get your input on. One is, um, you know, what if, if you, if you were, could distill your thoughts down to a couple sentences, what advice would you give uh, someone early on in their bachelor's degree? And then the second thing I want to talk about is a book. I mean, we said there is no book, you know, but I think reading and learning a lot is helpful. So I'd like to know, like, I see you have a lot of books behind you. What's, <laughs> what's something? <laughs> I don't think there's a lot of books. It's all it's all fake. <laughs> it looks like books in in the in the blurred version of Zoom. <laughs> I think in terms of advice, I would say I I would say the same thing. Like I think one of the questions I get asked a lot is like, oh, you know, how what was your plan at like going into undergrad? Mm. <laughs> Didn't have a plan. Well, I want to be prime minister. That was my plan. So far, it hasn't happened. <laughs> still may, still may, still young to go aside. Um, I think, yeah, there's no, there's no magical plan. There's no, I, I, I think going into university or if you're in your undergrad, I think the idea is probably should be uh, just be open to new experiences, try different things, mm. travel the world experience different places, experience different cultures, and that will inevitably benefit you as you progress in life, as you progress in your career, you'll have, you'll be able to relate to people more, you'll be able to work in a team better, you'll be able to, you know, be able to strike up conversation and find common ground with people, right? Right. That's one of the, I think that's one of the key things. You don't need to like, get straight A's yeah and I'm not saying I'm not what I mean by that is I'm not discounting the need for formal education and and I think that's 
that's the necessary condition. But to really, you know, have a more fulfilled, more robust um, kind of application, you know, I I interview a lot of people um, when I was uh, when I was here, when I'm in, in my current firm. You mean for jobs or or? Yeah, you know, like uh, I would say the people that are really impressive are not ones that you have, I, I often find, you know, having good grades, all that is, is necessary. I'm not saying like, if you, if you are a D minus student and then on, on, you know, we look at your resume. Yeah. Yeah, we're impressive. Let's, let's get this going. <laughs> well, I think, um, it's more important if you want to go into the next stage of education, right? You got to have a certain grade point average. You have to have shown you understand the fundamentals. Yeah. I don't know about jobs. Like here in North America, putting your GPA on your resume, there's a debate. Like, should you do it? Should you not do it? You don't need to do it. I, I, I think, I think it is that, you know, what, especially when I was in law, like, when we're for hiring fresh, uh, fresh graduate, fresh law graduates, you know, right. junior, or junior lawyers interviewing them, we'll ask, we'll always ask for your transcript. Oh, right? I see. Yeah. And, and that transcript is, it's important because it, it, it it's one part of a reflection of who you are. Right. right. So you have a thousand applicants. Okay, no one's going to go through a thousand applicants. How do we narrow this yeah. down? Here's the criteria. But right. when you actually when you actually come to the interview, mm-hmm. I would say the people that end up getting hired are not ones that are the top, top, top. I mean, you, of course, you have outliers that are like extremely personable. Yeah, everything about them is great. We all hate them, but they're still worth <laughs> it. Those those people aside. Um, the the people that you know at least in my experience that that tend to get hired are you know if you have the best grades you are top of your class but when we have a conversation um it doesn't really work or there's nothing there or i find that like you all right okay you're applying to be a corporate lawyer Kind of like a robot answer. Yeah, I'm not. I don't need to quote you on corporate on legal stuff. Right. As to be frank, like you would know nothing, and you you know you're <laughs> really you're like a baby with training wheels, and like yeah. I don't know what you're doing. So it doesn't matter. So let's talk about other stuff. What What do you think of X issue? What do you think of X politics? What do you think of uh you know the, what's the major business news what's what's the market like are right. you able to have a conversation where have you been what cultures right. have you seen? how do you interact with these people um if you have a conversation like that you know like because hey like listen like i'm probably going to be seeing you 12 14 hours a day sometimes mm-hmm. and you know if you have the best grades and you are just kind of annoying and like yeah it's well, about human interaction right like I, yeah i don't want to spend the day with you man like right you don't need but you have 
you know, good enough grades to pass the bar, but we get along and like, you know, you'll fit in and you'll, you'll make the workday go by faster or you'll make things go and I know I can rely on you. Yeah, you'll definitely get hired. So I don't have, yeah. so I, I guess, I mean, that's a long well, way of well, saying. Just kind of like be a well-rounded person. Yeah, I think that's a long way to, when the saying is like, there's no master plan. It's not like you need to have all the answers right away and just go explore, go figure out what you like, go to your students, go go try many different things. I think the model is like always, or, or, or the approach should be always give your best effort, but. Yeah, it's you know, okay to fail. Failure is okay. the mother of success. Yeah give, yeah give 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 your best effort try different things don't always like just because someone else is doing it this way doesn't mean it's the only way to do it or it's the best way to do it um and you don't need to feel pressure to be like oh i have to go to law school or i have to do x i have to do that like, right take take time to try to yeah. get a go travel go go see the world go do all these things that i think u of t or you know at that age that affords you mm -hmm. and, and, and try different things try you know i in the, i think in in undergrad i did help painting houses you know do do whatever yeah whatever you know these these all all these skills will inevitably come back and like help you with things and it'll make you more well-rounded more personal you'll, you'll be able to relate to people more you'll be able to talk to people on different topics mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> it's, it's a long way of so, saying don't just be like singularly focused. book smart yeah yeah book smart. Be, be be well read you know like yeah be able to talk about things but like so i think one of the things like going through um, Monk Center, going to grad school and like all, all the liberal arts education, you know, hey, we, we can talk about Foucault, we can talk about, you know, philosophy, we can talk about world politics, but at the same time, we can also talk about, uh, you know, sports, we can talk about yeah, we had a nice little <laughs> hangout in our basement office, and yeah, I don't know if you went down there too much, but we used to, like, you know, go for dinner, and our program supervisor would bring us sandwiches when there was yeah. upstairs, and it was just a nice little community, and we were just talking, we're going to kind of wrap it up here, but before we even started the podcast, Jay and I were just talking about, okay, you know, I see this person, or what's happening with that person, and so 15 years later, still wondering or having having some more regular connections with people in our program. Like you said, you saw one of our classmates regularly that lives in Hong Kong. Yeah. And, yeah. and um, just kind of wondering what's up with people. So that kind of community, that ability to be part of a community, have human interactions, communicate, respect people from different backgrounds like in our program there are people from all over the world really yeah um, exactly. who are interested in asia and 
and had very different ideas. We talked about articles and have very different interpretations because of where they're coming from in the world and stuff and sort of taking that away. So yeah, no plan. You don't need to have a plan, just go out and figure it out. And if you were to say, because you mentioned it is good to be well read, do you have a favorite book or what are you reading now? Do I have a favorite book? I like, think oh, I don't really read books, he says. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a lack of time to really get into novels. Squid Game. He's just watching Squid Game. No. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen Squid Game yet. <laughs> I think one of my favorite books is A Moment in Peking, if you, if you manage to. That's one of the few uh, Chinese books that's written, written in English natively, um, not a translation. Okay gets you to have a good understanding of a lot of it, it it will it will make you have a good understanding and appreciation of a lot of the sentiments of why of Chinese nationalism mm. it feels particular issues the way it is today. Uh, and that's one of my favorite books. Uh, I think recently I've probably so what was it? A moment in Peking. Do you know the author? Or we'll look it up and we'll put it in the links. The author, I'll have to send you. I can't remember off the top of my head. I'll I'll uh, figure it out. We'll put the link in the in the you know post below. It's it's a very old book. It's very very old. Okay. And then yeah, aside from that, most of the time it's reading uh, articles rather than novels. <laughs> it's my days. <laughs> That's most of our days. Yeah, unfortunately. Well, thanks for connecting. I know you're over there in Hong Kong and it's like 10 p.m. at night. So, I know. so oh. thanks for being on our podcast, Jay. Oh, thanks, Lisa. Thanks for having me. Very, it very really good. Was, it was good to connect. Yeah. I and to... um, if anyone wants to find out more about Jay, you can look him up on LinkedIn. We'll put a link. Yeah. Uh, in the description below and stay tuned for a short meditation and writing exercise. Sounds good. Thanks, Lisa. During this breathing meditation, you will focus on your breath. This will calm your mind and relax your body. There is no right or wrong way to meditate. Whatever you experience during breathing meditation is right for you. Don't try to make anything happen, just observe. Begin by finding a comfortable position, but one in which you will not fall asleep. Sitting on the floor with your legs crossed is a good position to try. Close your eyes or focus on one spot in the room. Roll your shoulders slowly forward and then slowly back. Lean your head from side to side, lowering your left ear towards your left shoulder and then your right ear toward your right shoulder. Relax your muscles. Your body will continue to relax as you meditate. Observe your breathing. Notice how your breath flows in and out. Make no effort to change your breathing in any way. Simply notice how your body breathes. Your body knows how much air it needs. 
sit quietly, seeing in your mind's eye your breath flowing gently in and out of your body. When your attention wanders, as it will, just focus back again on your breathing. Notice any stray thoughts, but don't dwell on them. Simply let the thoughts pass. See how your breath continues to flow deeply, calmly. Notice the stages of a complete breath. From the in-breath to the pause that follows, the exhale, and the pause before taking another breath. See the slight breaks between each breath. Feel the air entering through your nose. Picture the breath flowing through the cavities in your sinuses and then down to your lungs. As thoughts intrude, allow them to pass and return your attention to your breathing. See the air inside your body after you inhale filling your body gently. Notice how the space inside your lungs becomes smaller after you exhale and the air leaves your body. Feel your chest and stomach gently rise and fall with each breath. Now as you inhale, count silently. One. As you exhale, count. One. Wait for the next breath and count again. One, exhale, one, inhale, one, exhale, one. Continue to count each inhalation and exhalation as one. Notice how your body feels. See how calm and gentle your breathing is and how relaxed your body feels. Now it is time to gently reawaken your body and mind. Keeping your eyes closed, notice the sounds around you, feel the floor beneath you, feel the clothes against your body, wiggle your fingers and toes, shrug your shoulders, open your eyes and remain sitting for a few moments longer. Straighten out your legs and stretch your arms and legs gently. Sit for a few moments more, enjoying how relaxed you feel and experiencing your body reawaken and your mind returning to its usual level of alertness. Slowly return to standing position and continue with the rest of your day feeling re-energized. Hi guys, Lisa Fowler here again at Fowl Academic Writing. Um, maybe you just finished listening to our interview with Jay Chin about careers in liberal arts and his various degrees in economics and Asia Pacific studies, his law degree, and how the, his, his diverse education have helped him to be an excellent lawyer, but also to transition into his new career, which is um, communication and crisis management so that's really cool if you didn't hear the podcast you can check it out on anchor you can check it out on our website you can flip over probably to the other video on our youtube channel and have a listen 
If you're on our YouTube channel, welcome. And um, today I'm going to share a writing tip about critical thinking. So in the podcast, we talk a lot, like Jay says, really, there's three benefits to a liberal arts degree. And I agree with him, the breadth of knowledge you gain, critical thinking skills, and writing skills. And I think critical thinking is something we don't do enough of every day in our daily life or at work or wherever. And it's something all of us can practice. So this is a really simple exercise. So what I want you to do is think about something that you're like really passionate about. Like you're like, you know what, this is right. Like no matter what anybody tells me, like this is the truth, you know? So an example might be, well, climate change. People could get in a fight about that. But it could also be something really simple, like you need to brush your teeth before you go to sleep. Like, and I am adamant about this. You need to brush your teeth. And I'm going to tell everybody, if I have kids, if I have a spouse, if I have a partner, um, my friends, you need to brush your teeth before you go to sleep. Now, you probably have a lot of reasons why this is a good idea. So what I want you to do now, write that down at the top of your page, get your little notebook, set a timer for one to two minutes, and I want you to write down a bunch of bullet points against you, explaining why you are wrong, why you shouldn't brush your teeth before you go to sleep. All right, pause the podcast or video, give it a shot. I'm also going to do it and I'll come back and I'll share. Okay, to be honest, this was hard for me because <laughs> I always brush my teeth at night and I'm like, why would I change this? What would be an argument against it? But I came up with, you know, you're more likely to have bad breath in the morning. So if you're going to brush your teeth, do it in the morning after you wake up. You brush your teeth at night. You wake up, you still have bad breath. So what's the point? Um, you're not going to eat anything before you go to bed, hopefully. So instead of waiting until before you go to bed, why don't you just brush your teeth like every time you eat something? Wouldn't that be like more effective? Brush your teeth after you eat. Um, you're tired at night and you're more likely to not brush your teeth properly or floss because you just want to go to bed. So why are you wasting your time brushing your teeth then? It'd be better to brush it at, brush your teeth at a different time, like earlier in the day. Um, you're wasting time that you could be using sleeping. Why are you brushing your teeth and washing your face? Whatever you're doing, like just go to sleep. What's the point? And this is kind of related. Uh, you're not paying attention, brushing your teeth, it's easy to damage your gums. And so like, if you're tired and stuff, you're more likely to brush your teeth wrong. So then actually isn't brushing your teeth hurting yourself instead of actually helping yourself. Okay, I'm almost convinced that I shouldn't brush my teeth before I go to bed. What is the point of this exercise? I think, and you could use this for like, this would be really good if you had an essay question and you're trying to figure out an argument and you think it's this way, but you need to also understand the counter argument. So this is really useful for high school, university, graduate students, anybody writing any sort of persuasive essay, lawyers, they do this to a certain extent. So the, the point of this is to help you think about multiple perspectives or 
different ways that people are looking at the same situation so that you can communicate more effectively. You can make sure your argument is um, stronger, that people can't poke holes in it, that you've thought of all the different angles. And it helps you to develop critical thinking. So you're not just taking information in at face value, but you're actually thinking about it. So I hope that this was helpful for you. Try it out. As I said, it could be a great thing to do if you have um, an essay you're working on. Just try this exercise. Write out what you think, like, you know, climate change is inevitable. And then try the flip side. Pretend you're a climate change denier. And what would they say? And then you could go back and counter what they say. And this whole process will help to strengthen your persuasive writing. So give it a shot. If you need help with your academic writing, if you want to try one of our creative writing courses, maybe you're applying to school and you're not sure how to do a personal statement. Um, maybe you're, you're working and your boss is complaining about your report writing or your presentation making it work. You can come to us and we are happy. We have so many wonderful coaches um, to help you to develop your communication skills. We, you can find us on our website, which will be in the links description below, www.fow.ca, and book a free discovery call with me. Whatever, or follow us on Instagram, follow us on YouTube, Twitter, LinkedIn, check out our blog posts on the website, sign up for the newsletter, whatever works for you. Um, we're always happy to help you reach your full potential on the page and in life and take good care everyone.